0: a hip-hop 12 inches so i was always listening to the instrumental versions of tracks you know same concept with um, instrumental hip-hop mm-hmm. i got really big in a porter's head when they came out like oh my yeah. gosh I, yeah. same. I i used to bump that out of my university window into the courtyard and it was just a great time like the the trip-hop you know quote-unquote scene um There were were some cool elements uh, coming out of that, you know. So, you know, you take that, you take uh, what Dilla was doing, what Mad Lib was doing, uh, Prefuse 73, DJ Shadow, Dim Light. Light. I mean, I was listening to a lot of Bjork. There were some good things going on, you know.
1: I got to shout out DJ Spooky because I put him in there with all those cats. like that Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: For sure. For sure. That's definitely a, a, a time. That's a time.
1: What what era of Dilla is like your? I mean, I know. I guess de- de- depending on your mood. So depending yeah. on what mood is, where where does each Dilla go? Like you know, uh, there's JD and there's Dilla, the rough draft.
0: I, when I first think of Dilla, I'm thinking about Far Side and then Slum, maybe some Soulquarians stuff yeah i'm thinking those those are probably my biggest like my intros to him is probably first yeah far side
1: when you were listening to the far side did you know it was him do you know it was jd because i didn't know i had no idea
0: no i don't think so i don't you know it's interesting if you were a producer then you paid attention to who the producers were or that's something that came later like you'd realize oh here's a group of songs that i like you know all these different songs that that you, you might say, hey, this is this is my driving music, whatever. And then you start to think about, oh, but who makes these tracks? Who's who's the producer behind it? And then it starts to make sense, like, oh, okay, you know, I, you who know, who's this, Mr. Yancey? <laughs> you know exactly, but it's it's something that I eventually got into because I was already, you know, if we're talking late '80s, I was huge fans of Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, and Teddy Riley. I was very much aware of what they produced and what their sound was. And then I was huge into Timbaland, and, and then Dilla.
2: Which era do you reach out for as a sort of default?
0: Ah, uh, you know what? I really enjoy his work with Madlib. I think Champion Sounds, yep. I, can, I can rock on repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the combo of them together I think was just dope. Yeah. You know, but um you know, everybody's got their stories like I remember one of the visits I was in the UK and I uh hung out with Eric Lau and he had burned me a CD of a bunch of Dilla MP3s, you right.
1: know. Yeah, yeah. Things were
0: just kind of f- floating around.
1: Is this the J-Lib outtakes that came that was floating about?
0: Mm. I don't even know. I think it was a mixture of stuff. Oh, okay. But you know, back then it was always dope when folks were sharing uh MP3 rips, you know. Got a little early early blessing of sounds. For sure. But um
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean Dilla, I mean it's it's just unfortunate. I mean, he he was still really young when he when he 32 passed. Thirty
1: two years old, man. That um, still messes my head up.
0: And, and, and it's not like he had a lot of time to put out a lot of no. I mean, a few things, at least officially, you know, what was released officially. I mean, there was a lot of stuff being passed around. But in terms of what he released officially... His official
2: career is like 11 years because his first credited yeah. record is 95 yeah. and it starts... He was obviously doing stuff before that, but really, if you're taking it as like official career, it's like... Eleven years. It's ninety five yeah. to two thousand and six. Yeah. Uh,
1: from French is it French Street? No,
2: the the in first French official police? record is the one for Dez's group. The NSC is the group, and DJ Dez was a part of it. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I got, it's that, I got that. To JD, yeah, yeah, The letters JD, and it's actually uh, yeah. that uh, record. Yeah. I talk about this in the book, but that record is so in Detroit. The underground resistance people have built their own museum of techno of like techno history, which is at mm. 3000 East Grand down the road from the Motown mm. Museum. But in that museum is that record. The Jade the first JD record is in there because they helped press and distribute it. And they're the ones who connected to who was then a young peanut butter wolf who worked at um, the distribution mm. on the West Coast. And they got the record to Wolf. And so that's how Wolf started distributing that record. And that's oh. the, uh, the assumption being that it's the first time that heard of jd it's yeah. a super dope little story that but that's his first credited record and then it starts with quickly after that he's got like within a year of that record coming out he's already got like major label placements
0: yeah i mean i also feel like i had to do a bit of backtracking too i mean listen, my first self-release full-length fun like passion the first track on there is called missing you simply And that was dedicated to JD, even even the swing of it, like the whole vibe Mm -hmm. of it. And and that was around the time of his passing, you know, it's... um... Six, I put that out. So you know, he 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 wasn't he wasn't he, here with us very long. But I mean, he left uh, an amazing impression, and you know, and 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 so important and vital to you know what we call this this beat community. I'm, I'm sure everyone can attest to that. You know, he is the he is the godfather in a lot of ways, and of course, there are other. Producers that I'm sure most of us love, like Mad Lib, Pete Rock, Premier, the SP-1200 era. But I, I think most folks can say that Dilla is that dude. And and maybe part of the legend is the fact that he wasn't with us for very long and and, and what that creates in our imaginations and memories.
1: Could you imagine what, what Dilla's Broken Beat album would have sounded like? Oh, my God. Or like you know what I mean? Like I I think about those things, you know, because it looked like maybe he was going more into live sure. instrumentation using bands, yeah. and you know, just couldn't imagine what what he could have been doing, you know.
0: I mean, because Madlib had uh, his DJ Rails project. That's right. Ooh. You know, that was his um, his broken beat vibe.
1: Which is insane that he made that on the three hundred three. Yeah. Like I That's don't correct. even get that. That's great. That's insane, and it was supposedly in a weekend.
0: I mean, but I think, you know, his, his work ethic is, is pretty widely known. Yeah. We hear him a bit more now in terms of interviews and stuff like that. But like back then, yeah. like what an enigma. He he just worked. Yeah. He worked. So if, if you're yeah. making beats all day and just racking them up, like it's it's possible. And especially if you're in a zone. I mean, there have definitely been times where I've been in the zone and I'll just knock stuff out back to back. And I won't go back and remix it, change it, nothing. I'm like... This is what it is when I made it. It felt good when it came out On to the next, Mm -hmm. next track. You know, let's, let's just go. So
2: that's just, I like that attitude. Yeah. The last couple of years you did the best beat tape and then the sustainable movements for a new age. So the best beat tape was themed around uh, Bessie Coleman and then the sustainable movements was themed around, I guess, ecology. So I was kind of wondering if you could talk about why beat tapes is a format and if the themes helps you with the creative work.
0: That's the thing. Um, Instrumental projects can be a bit repetitive and a bit, I don't want to say boring, but for me, I really like having something to work around, especially if I'm producing music in different genres, right? So if I'm making an album with a variety of sounds and genres, I like to connect it with a theme. So it all kind of ties together and makes sense. And, you know, with sustainable movements, you know, I released that on Earth Day and all of the titles were related to environmental issues and concerns and You know, that's something that's important to me. I'm into healthy eating, healthy living. I have a holistic health certificate. And I was also making T-shirts with some of those titles on there. So that was important to me. And with Bess, which is a tribute to Bessie Coleman, who was the first Black woman to be a professional pilot. Like she was the the first even Black person, I think, to obtain an international pilot's license and this wow. is in 1921. And, and, you know, she's a Black, a black and uh, Native American woman living in the South who didn't have any role models and decided on her own that she wanted to become a pilot. This is crazy. So, of course, they weren't letting this happen in the States. So, there was a revered flight school in France they weren't really letting in women, especially not women of color, but, but somehow they let her in, you know, she studied French, she learned the language and she excelled. And she also studied under some of the the best pilots in, in, in Europe. And not only was she a great pilot, she became a stunt pilot. Like this woman was doing tricks. She was standing on the wings and she was performing. And it's a story that I really wanted to share. It's something that I didn't know about. You know, I knew of Mae Jameson, who was, you know, maybe the first black female astronaut. Um, I was reading about her and then she starts talking about Bessie Coleman. I'm like, who is this? I'm like, this woman is doing this in the 1920s. So I thought that was a great story to tell. And, you know, I, I don't really rhyme so much these days. You know, I'll sing occasionally. There is one vocal track on there. But I love stories. I love narratives. And, I know that the, the recorded format, it doesn't just have to be music. You know, it can also be audiobook of sorts, you know, so I have interludes. And, you know, if you think about De La Soul and the groups, they were doing cool, you know, even Biggie, you know, having the interludes to tie in all the tracks. I thought it was a good opportunity to tell her story. And then also from a performance perspective, and in, incorporate those uh, visuals. And as you say, you know, archive, get archive pictures and photos of her. Right. and I got a really great book about her life that was written about her and I use that as a great resource. But, you know, I, I think representation is important, especially being, um, you know, a Black woman in a lot of different fields where I am one of few. And I think it's important to encourage, if anything, with, with all this music making and being in the arts and performing and creating, being an important resource for information, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how I saw early hip hop. Early hip hop, there were dance records, but there were also records that told you about history. And and this is a lot of stuff that you weren't learning in schools. If you were reading it on your own, cool. Or if someone was schooling you on it, cool. But I, I really wanted to focus on the strength and the power of music and that you know, yeah, it could just be background music and you know, that's under whatever else you're doing with your day, but it can also serve as an important resource to educate. So anytime I have an opportunity to to drop those things in uh, the project, it's 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 a no brainer. I'm gonna go for it. But I mean her story, who does that? Who right. has that kind of strength to say I know it's damn near impossible. I've never seen anyone do it, but I'm so gung ho. Like I'm, I'm so about this life. I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to keep pushing. And you know, even when Bessie Coleman came back to the states, they treated her like crap. So she's like, okay, I'm going back to Europe and I'm going to train some more and I'm going to learn some more. And unfortunately, she when she came back to the states and did some performing, and you know, she ended up passing away. in a plane and I mean and even how that happened could have been some trickery too so but but yeah that's important to me like I create because I am a creator but it's even more important for me to use that in uh, a beneficial way if possible.
2: your path through the 2000s so we get to the early 2000s you these tectonic records but then actually after that you go back to just self-releasing for the rest of the decade up until today actually why did you make that choice
0: i think i am i don't want to say a control freak that's not what it is but i like to be very hands-on i like to have control over not only what i'm creating but how it comes out and when it comes out. And I think I just got tired of of waiting and putting a project in someone else's hands in the sense of, okay, I'm gonna to try to shop this project. Hopefully somebody likes it. And then wait until their schedule allows for a release. And it could be a year later. And there are definitely pros that come from it. Like I, you know, I got a lot of extra attention by having a project on tectonic and having vinyl release and having certain PR relationships. and I mean until to, until to this day, even when I'm doing self promo for my projects, a lot of the relationships I have are from 10, 12, 15 years ago from folks who were listening from back then and i'm I'm so thankful that that folks are still riding with me. But I've always been a hustler. I've always been, a self-marketing person, so like whatever needs to be done, whether it's uh, making sure I have new photos, taking care of the graphic design for my albums, having control over the theme, the format, the genre, all those things. You know, self-releasing just gave me the ability to just have total control from top to bottom for, for good or for bad, like, and that was early on, you know, you're talking about 2012, 2013, where right now it, it's kind of more normalized, I think, for people to put sure. stuff out themselves. But um, I think I also became really aware of ownership and licensing and maintaining 100% ownership over things. And not to say that in the future I won't be, be releasing anything without with labels because I might have something coming in the future. <laughs> um, but um, it's something I'm open to. But l- being able to put stuff out on my own just, just gave me total control from from top to bottom. And if I decided I wanted to have something ready for next month, I could do that. At the same time, I think as a re- as a result of self-releasing, some people may have missed out on some things that I put out. You know, I, I probably put out a good three or four albums that, you know, maybe people weren't aware of if they didn't catch it on Bandcamp or Apple Music at the time or... I mean, right now everything's on Spotify. But I mean, that's the the great thing about Bandcamp. You can put stuff together and upload it and, and just have it ready whenever you want. But um, yeah, that's that's the only thing is I, I think I definitely put out some quality material within that time that may not have gotten as much attention right. because it was self-released. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, these 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 are all archived. Um, <laughs> projects that can can be visited at a at a later date, so it's it's all good.
1: Do you think it's the reputation of the label that gets your attention, or because I have a huge issue with PR? Like I I don't feel like I should pay someone to pretend they like me.
0: Yeah.
1: You, I mean, I understand it's a business and everything, but it just felt like a thing that I'm I was totally against. But then I noticed, damn, when you don't do it, you really see the difference, you know. So. How do you feel about those relationships? Because it is a bizarre relationship.
0: It is. Um, at, at the end of the day, we are in an industry that is pretty oversaturated. You know, how many new releases come out every month? And that's just music. We're not talking about film. We're not talking about other creative or anything that just grabs our attention in general. Like everything is fighting for attention and fighting for our time and like hey hey I'm here I'm here I'm here, so the the thing about PR is just that you're giving it a chance to get in front of more people and whether they decide to take it in or not that's up to them. But you know if you know what's the rule you know once you see something three times you're like oh okay okay I'll check it out. So you're you're just kind of giving it um, that chance to 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 get to more ears. So. It's not so much to me about, you know, whether people like you or not, if if they're being paid to do your PR, it is, it, it is what it is. And, and maybe somebody else will be into it or be put on to what you're doing. You know, I, I definitely benefited from some attention in PR that I got from Tectonic and from Red Bull, for that matter, that I was able to promote to a, a decent amount of radio and journalist and stuff like that but um, I mean that's really all all it's about is just getting in front of more people
2: I've seen it from the journalist point of view of being a person that when I was writing actively you're being bombarded with people telling you listen to these records then something like Bandcamp happens and and that allowed I think from a journalistic point of view the thing that I loved about it is it allowed you to discover things by yourself that was sort of under the radar but then I Mm -hmm. also use Bandcamp to release records with with my friends and we have a little label and, and we do stuff and what i found with that that i found really interesting is i always almost use the label as a a way to experiment like we don't do promo so like we've released records with exactly what you're talking about the only promo that we do is i email the people that i know i email justin i email jay i email um i email people that i know that dj yep. that do radio shows i'm like Here's the thing. If you like it, play it, whatever. I email Andrew at Bandcamp and if he likes it, he plays it on the radio uh, for Bandcamp and we've sold out records and we've actually, you know, the label is able to, to do its thing purely because we sell enough records on Bandcamp that I can make more, we can make more records and sell more records. We have a distro, but like we've, like you say, Justin, it's, like, it's a game that I've always been slightly uncomfortable to play also because it comes with these attached things where like, if you really want to make these big impacts, it's a lot of money up front for potentially zero return because it's all a gamble, ultimately. And I know this from yeah. talking to people who run PR, successful PR companies who have told me that. It's, it's super interesting how it works. And I think I often go back to this thing of basically, it's whatever works for you. I think a lot of people, especially a lot of young artists, realize that now in a way that we, that people from our generation probably were starting to figure it out. Yeah. Maybe what works for you is band camp only. Maybe what works for you is paying for PR. Maybe what works for you is hitting up radio DJs.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the thing for me now, I wouldn't pay for PR because enough time has gone by where I have a really nice list of contacts of people who I respect and who, I have have shown support for me that is as, as soon as I know I'm gonna release something, they're gonna get it a few weeks before. So you know, that's I feel like I'm playing the same role as if I were on a label. The only difference is um, manufacturing, you know, I'm right. Not necessarily putting out the money to <laughs> manufacture vinyl. And honestly, that would be, uh, one of the the two reasons that I would work with a label now is for them to handle a physical product, and to maybe to to put my name out to some folks who are unfamiliar. Because even even though I've been doing this for quite some time, I I feel like people's uh, memories are still very short,
2: mm-hmm. and.
0: You know, I, I run, uh, I, I co-run a beat event now. And, and funny, you mentioned hip hop evolution. We're actually interviewing Darby, the director, oh, wow. uh, next week. He's going to be our guest curator, uh, for Loop Sessions Toronto. You know, it's actually based out of, you know, that the whole crew is pretty much based out of Toronto and LA.
2: Wasn't the, the person who presented it, Chad, Chad he's from Toronto as well?
0: I mean, he's not. He's from Canada, right? So sorry, but yes, he's based here. He's based here,
2: and he pre- he's presented all three seasons, right?
0: Yes, yes, and, and and he and he's an MC, and he's he's a very particular type of MC. Um, but he and he's also a, a host. You did some radio hosting, and you know he's he's got a name here. But it's interesting times. I mean, listen, it's it, things are so different now than than 2010, then 2005. You know, know, so how you adapt to that is crucial and, you know, making sure that people know what's going on. Because I I miss so many releases. It's it's just so much. It's a lot to keep up with. I think if you have a regular mix show or something and, you know, I do I'll do guest mixes and that's when I'll really dig in and say, okay, what's going on out there? What's who's put what out? What should I check out? But
1: do you check on Bandcamp? That's where you search?
0: You know what? Honestly, I'll be going through my Instagram or Twitter feed and I'll see something and I'm like, oh, OK, let me let me go. And, and then I'll listen to it on Bandcamp. But usually that's how I'll find out about stuff is on Instagram or, or Twitter.
1: I, I find way more music on Twitter than Instagram.
0: Yeah, I find well, way, that's, a lot
1: more because people are retweeting and stuff. So there's more yes. community.
0: And and also I think, you know, Instagram is very picture oriented, right? So we're looking at all different types of visuals where with Twitter, it's words, headlines, and you can just kind of quickly scroll and you'll see headline, 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 headline. You know, these, these are our blogs of 2021, For sure. you know, that the, the magazines and blogs were, you know, how we got everything before, but now it's, you know,
2: yeah.
0: all social media
2: Twitter has been a source for music for me as well. But, I mean, even the point that you made, I think, is is very salient about wanting to make an effort to evolve. What can you do to continue to sort of, like, enjoy what it is that you're doing creatively? And sometimes that can come even from just having conversations with other people.
0: Yeah. And and I also meant to say that, you know, with Loop Sessions Toronto, it's you know, I'm... Seeing a lot of young beat makers, and you know, I'm I'm co-running the event, but a lot of them don't know my beat history. They don't know my releases. That I'm still coming to them as a a new person. So it's like even even though you know we've been doing this for quite some time, we can kind of take for granted what that new space looks like. And sometimes you have to kind of reintroduce yourself to people so they can they can know what's up. So and 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 hopefully you you gain new followers or. Of followers, but you know people who are interested in what you do and will you know check you when you have new stuff coming out.
1: So, so what's the night like? Is it um, oriented uh, uh, like a dance floor oriented thing, or is it more uh, just people playing beats and vibing out?
0: Well, Loop, Loop Sessions Toronto, it's it's a part of uh, the Loop Sessions umbrella, and there are a number of chapters all around the world, and it started. As an in live session, we would do once a month, and basically, you'd have five minutes to sample a vinyl, three hours to create, and then everyone would showcase their beat.
1: Wow, dope! Wow, I like this.
0: Yeah, so we'd allow as much as many producers as table space would allow because people would come with their own gear. So, whether it, they're using FL Studio, MPC, 404, whatever it is. And depending on how big our space was, um, you know, we'd have 12 to 15 producers and, you know, we've been doing this for two years and it actually started in, I mean, the main crew was out of Montreal and, and of course, that has a history of the whole right. community and, and they host online now as well too. I think all of us are hosting virtually online now, but there's definitely a certain vibe That you get when you're all in one space and everyone's nerding out on their headphones and you can see they're deep into it and they have the same source material.
1: Wait, everyone's sampling the same record? Yes. Oh, wow. wow.
0: And so there could be five tracks, eight tracks, ten tracks or whatever on that vinyl, you know, A side, B side. And you had five minutes to just drop the needle, drop the needle, drop the needle, drop the needle. We'd record a WAV file for five minutes. You get on, get whatever on that that you want. We give you that WAV file, and you go sit and you chop to your head falls off, and you've got three hours to work. Now that we're virtual, we actually give the sample the night before, and then we they present it online the next day. But we also use that as an opportunity to highlight someone in our local community who we think is the bee's knees you know someone who is in the music community whether they're producers djs journalists we get them to select the vinyl you know we've we've had shad we've had rich kid solitaire we've had some really dope like toronto and she you know greater toronto um legends really and and that's why we're getting darby you know he used to run a hip-hop magazine here called pound you know before he even started um, doing any film production and stuff like that. So um, we, we use that as a way to um, teach our younger producers who, who, who don't remember some of the stuff that was going on in 2000. So we really use it as a mm-hmm. great community to mix um, the eras. And they all learn from each other. And, and actually, even the participating producers are coming from all... Um, ranges of, of experience so it's really dope like um, like I said we've been doing it for over two years and it's it's been so much fun and we, we even um, got a grant for a bit to wow. partially uh, fund um, our speakers and we also have um we're working on some other programming. We have something called Crate Sessions where we do like in depth interviews with vinyl lovers. Like we've had some really um, dope. dope folks who we've interviewed. So, you know, um, myself and uh, Garrett, he goes by Drumspeak Music, we're uh, co running uh, the Toronto chapter right now. And, okay. and we're just trying to highlight the Toronto history. Um, as well as encourage and influence uh, the upcoming crew of producers, and you know Toronto's hot, man. Toronto's been hot for for a bit, so it's 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 really cool.
1: But are those recorded? Those events?
0: If if you go to our Instagram, you'll see snippets. Like okay. you know, the sessions run like two two hours long, so we don't post the whole thing anywhere.
2: Just snippets.
0: Um, yeah, but we'll we'll post clips. Um, so you can hear some different beats uh, from the night. And, you know, we might parlay in, in, into doing some longer stuff. And actually, when we were meeting in person, we'd go meet up with the curators and we'd be talking for hours. And we would just break this down into a few minutes and usually just use it to promote and hype the actual session that's coming up oh, that and, and, to prom- and to promote them as well. But yeah, I mean this is this is a good way for me to stay current and to also be a mentor and to educate as well. So it's, it's it's interesting what can happen over time and also to see how many of us are still involved in music and and still trying to uh, be productive in in that field. So I For sure. I really enjoy seeing seeing that, you know, the folks that I "Quote unquote," came up with. There are a number of folks who aren't doing it anymore. You know, it's this isn't a make money fast or get big and popular kind of thing. You know, but if you love it and it, you see it as a part of your your life, you'll you'll figure out a way to make it sustain you.
2: What's the handle? Is it Loop Sessions?
0: Loop Sessions Toronto.
2: Loop Sessions Toronto. So everybody can check that out.
0: I've also been really lucky to to host a number of creative workshops online with different crews like uh, we we'll talk about the producer Martin, you know he has um, right. a monthly series that he does a mentorship for producers and I've done a session with him and I've done stuff with a number of different organizations, uh, saffron based in the UK. Um, University of Toronto, Hard House. So, you know, different folks reach out to me to do different creative sound workshops or even just to talk about my my history, which is really cool. Um, but I'm sure the thing that you want me to mention <laughs> is...
2: <laughs> I don't want you to like, mention it only if you want to. No I, just, it's interesting. no,
0: I Listen, I want to mention it too because, I mean, listen, the whole time we've been talking about my journey right. and... You know, even though I've been doing music for so long and internships and so forth, I also grew up studying theater. I went to performing arts school, and mm-hmm. I have a bachelor's degree in film. So I'm into it all, right? Music is just the thing that allowed me to create solo, right? Movies and theater take working with a lot of people for whether that's good or bad, but it it all kind of brings me full circle because you know the film. Industry is thriving in Toronto. A lot of things film here. And this last fall, I was very lucky to receive an email requesting my services to, to check my interest in consulting on a music related film. At the time, I didn't necessarily know the details of it, I hadn't read the script yet, but I just got an email from one of the assistants that said, Hey, I'm from Disney, and we are making a film, and we're looking for a consultant. That's all I knew. And I said, well, heck yeah. You're in my city. <laughs> Everyone knows Disney. Oh, so Why not? <laughs> so everything just happened really quickly. I read the script that night and found out that the film was about young DJs and young beatmakers. Wow. And... I was hired to... So you're going to make
1: sure there's RCAs plugged in the mixer?
0: All of that. (laughs) (laughs) The amount of
1: times I've seen a film and this shit isn't even plugged in.
0: (laughs) All of that. Like, listen, like, I'm I'm hoping I caught everything. I'm hoping everything looks good. But I was uh, in charge of instructing and teaching the lead actors how to scratch, how to DJ, how to spin. And this all happened very quickly. So you, you have to imagine I'm working with 15 and 17-year-old actors and, and teaching them not only how to use the equipment, but also the culture as much as I can. So I'm working with them. I'm also instructing the director. I'm giving her lessons. And I'm also on set for any of the um, scenes that are related to such. And making sure that everything looks good and sounds good and it looks authentic. And and, and just, just helping with anything related to that part of the, the movie. And it was it was amazing. It was the first time I had been on a film set. I was amazed that the theme was so closely tied to my my life and my history. For and sure. um, the lead the lead is a female which is amazing. And uh, the director is a female, both women of color. And it was it was just amazing that they found me and that um, I was able to have this experience. So dope. Yeah. Yeah. So dope. And it, it, that, should, that should be out September. Um, I know everything they've done editing. I've, I've seen all the final edits and I've signed all the dotted lines, gone through all the legal departments and everything. And um, I'm I'm excited for that. And I'll be out on the Disney channel. I think it's going to be really important show. Nice. I I
1: have a question that pertains to that. So they had to clear their music first? Like, how did it work?
0: Everything was created from scratch. That was another thing I had to see, like all of the music's original music. You know, the the guy who does the score for the movie did Moulin Rouge. <laughs> um, wow. Like, wow. once I was, I was like, who are these people I'm working with? Oh, my God. You know, the the music supervisor, she did the bodyguard and some other things. I'm like, wow. So, so they knew okay. that stuff? Yeah. Wow. They, they, they knew their stuff, but at the same time, they really appreciated me for what I had to bring to the table because you know even though they were in charge of what they do they really relied on me for the DJ related aspects and for the music producer related um from gear to 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 everything to speak you know I would make some corrections to the script if certain things didn't make sense um it's for a younger audience so you know some things kind of have to stay in that realm but in terms of um inspiring young creators um it's it's i i I couldn't have asked for a better opportunity and and just lucky that they um found me and had had faith in me to carry it through
2: i think this is a beautiful place for us to end because i feel like a lot of very beautiful Mm -hmm. messages thank you for taking the time to speak to us today thank you so much
0: no problem. Thank you for the invite. Like I say, I think it's important to have visibility. It's important to hear diverse stories and it's important to to record all of this. Yeah. For other people to hear. So, thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs>